We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to a special out-of-sequence episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. That's Klingon for mine. Yeah, that's Klingon for my name is Ben with a mouthful of teeth. And phlegm. (laughs) Yes. And if that is not hint enough for you, then we are going to be talking about the two-part-ish pilot for Star Trek Discovery, the new much-anticipated, I will say, Star Trek series and I will warn you right now we're talking about the first two episodes of the series which uh if you're in the United States both are available on the CBS all access service and if you're virtually anywhere else on the planet you've got it on your Netflix so Ooh. but spoilers ahoy if you have oh, not yeah. actually watched this cuz this is this is as close to an episode airing as you know, apart from our Doctor Who, which, you know, for crying out loud, if you listen to a Doctor Who and you haven't seen the Doctor Who, then yes. same as here with this one. Um, anyway, let's start with a synopsis of the two episodes. A Klingon named Tukovma wants to reunite the 24 houses of the Klingon Empire. He wants to unite them in a war against their enemy, the United Federation of Planet, and their battle cry of We Come in Peace. Meanwhile, Starfleet Captain Philippa Georgiou of the USS Chenzo and her first officer, Michael Burnham, risk death being stranded on a planet for 89 years and potentially violating the Prime Directive by drilling a well a bit deeper for an alien race. Afterwards, the Chenzo is sent to the edge of Federation space where a communication relay has been destroyed. It would appear that foul play is a possibility. A nearby object is investigated by Burnham and is attacked by a Klingon, whom she accidentally kills. She knows the Klingons will try to start a war, and after consulting with her adopted father, Sarek of Vulcan, she tries to convince the captain to shoot first, just as the Vulcans would. The captain refuses because that is not the Starfleet way, so Burnham attempts mutiny to save everyone. Her attempt fails. Meanwhile, the Klingons have called for more Klingons, and their fleet arrives. Tukovma wants the houses to fight together, as Collis foresaw, and when the Federation fleet arrives, they open fire. The Senzo is heavily damaged, and Burnham, in the brig, is trapped behind a force field, as that section of the ship is destroyed. The battle isn't completely decisive, but the Klingons come out mostly on top, with the main admiral of Starfleet being destroyed along with his ship. Burnham has gotten out of the brig and convinces the captain that they need to capture Tukovma, who has stayed behind in his ship, to collect the dead warriors' bodies. They plant a photon torpedo warhead in one of the bodies, crippling Tukovma's ship when it explodes. Georgiou and Burnham beam aboard and attempt to capture him. Georgiou is killed by Tukovma, who is in turn killed by Burnham. The Senzo is scuttled, and Burnham is court-martialed, stripped of rank, and sentenced to life in prison, and nary a discovery in sight. Um, you know, I, I, I joke with people, um, about, um, you know, science fiction nerds are, you know, kind of not well thought of. They're kind of down on the people looking down the nose kind of Mm -hmm. thing. And, and I, and I joke with my friends, uh, you know, rightly so, of course, that the only people we have to look down on are ham radio nerds, but uh, actually below that, in my estimation, are people who think Klingon language is interesting. Yeah, they are the, and they are going to be freaking insufferable after this show. They have single-handedly done more to make me hate Klingons more than I previously did, uh, just by talking so much, as you so rightly. Uh, demonstrated earlier. <sighs> yeah. 
It's like the freaking Morlocks in the time machine, I think. Just about. Oh, okay. Had to get out of that way. Um, Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Just had to get out of my system. I probably have a few more that I'm going to have to get out of my system, but probably not nearly as many as you. So go. What did you think? Star Trek Discovery. (laughs) That's uh, that's Collis's uh, mother, I believe. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, it's meh. But in this case, no, it was just a big fat meh. I mean, I didn't hate it, but boy, was I, I really wanted to love it. I really wanted to just enjoy this and, and, and just say, yes, this is, this, this is the Star Trek that I know. This is the Star Trek that I understand. And it's not the Star Trek that I understand. Granted, they are approaching the writing of this series in a totally unique sort of way. You said at the very beginning, this was the pilot. Actually, this is not the pilot. This is the prologue to the pilot. Kind of. The pilot is episode three. I, uh, it's one way to look at it. I mean, I, I, I no, put no, pilot actually, in no, the no, actually, it, it is because I just watched um, the, a talk show with the producer. Oh, the After Trek. Yeah, I've watched After Trek, and he said this is actually more of a prologue because uh, the, the the host Matt Meyer said, you know, this is this is like a cold opening. I said, yep, this is like a prologue to the pilot. Pilot being episode three, and I thought, well, that just sucks. Well, they because can, nary a discovery in sight, as you as you pointed out. Yeah, they can call it whatever they want. You know, the first episode of a series. <laughs> I know, I know. But uh, the reason I question it is because it's actually is it one story? Did the it's two one episodes big story. completed? I think the whole series is one big story. So it is. Therefore, this first two episodes feels like a complete unit. Like an act, as well, this opposed is, th- to th- th- the first think of episode, it as a, which felt this is, like half an act. The, the The series of this season is is basically a book, and and uh, we got chapters one and two. Next week is chapter three. That's one reason why we don't get this sense of even after we had uh, the ending of episode two, there was not this. Th- there's no resolution. Even if you look at a television show that has a story arc to it, you get some sense of. A tiny bit of, you know, if not closure, you get a to-be-continued kind of thing. With this, you get a stop. It just stops. I, I, I would agree that at the end of episode one, it stops, and that is traditional cliffhanger. Oh, the Klingons have arrived. Aha, we're up. Creek without a but paddle, it right? It and didn't that's where it feel like traditional cliffhanger, though. That's just it. Uh, it, it came you know, to but a dramatic that's, that's neither here reveal. nor there. I the mean, the point felt like they closed off a chapter by scuttling the ship, and, yeah. and that, that's the difference to me. This feels like the two together feel like, even if it isn't a story, it feels like a, a unit together mm-hmm. as a as a as a whole. And then I feel like you know something new is going to happen next time. So, well, be be that yeah. as it may. The one thing that's happening, and this is something that I've I had to be reminded of, and I could be really giving this series, uh, this season, I really could be selling it short. So I, I got to keep myself and my expectations in check. They're telling stories in a completely different way. Like I said, we cannot even compare this to like a Babylon Five. If anything, the closest comparison would be like maybe the reboot of Galactica. That'd be the closest comparison in terms of the way the episodes are being told. But, you know, you you and I have talked about what Star Trek represents and the the, the sense of the, the human ideal trying to achieve for something better. And, you know, we got like none of that. Hmm. It, it, it was it was all about shoot them up, you know, flash bang. Wow. Was I mean, it? it? Well, to me, that's how it felt. OK, um. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say I I probably enjoyed it more than you did. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I was blown away by it, and and I certainly had many things that <clears throat> it irritated me. But you know that's true with a lot of Star Trek episodes from other other Star Trek series. So you know, putting it in that context, what I was looking for. And I thought, 
I actually thought that what we were seeing here was because the Admiral reiterates it, uh, Captain Georgiou reiterates it. Uh, we have, uh, and you know, you could say it's lip service to it because we haven't really, we haven't got the time to see it. But they're not willing to fight. They're there to be, they are there to be peaceful. Everything that we see from the people, everyone except Michael Burnham is let's be friends. Let's put our best foot forward. Let's try to, try to negotiate. Let's, you know, we come in peace. They mean it. They're serious. They're absolutely, in that respect, I actually kind of felt like this was a return to proper Starfleet. It's the fact that and I think this is the story that they're going to try to tell is when you have high ideals as the Federation is supposed to have, when you come in conflict, when you come into a case of war, which is unavoidable, you know, it, it's not, it's not the Federation making this war. It's the Klingons intentionally making this war. You know, where do your ideals go? How -hmm. do you put those in action? And so we've got 13 more episodes to see how, the Federation responds to a real threat. They have to defend themselves, which means they have to fight and they have to kill and they have to battle. But, mm-hmm. you know, Kirk could do that and still be compassionate and come out, you know, and Picard as well. Uh, I'm hoping that that is here. They've, they've certainly paid lip service to it with the, the primary characters. And then, you know, we have Burnham, our, our, main character who fortunately will not be in command who is frankly undergoing the so overused in star trek i hate to call it the spock journey but we'll call it the spock journey that's the journey to being a human her her journey's a little different because she was human and then trained out of it and then has to come back at it whereas spock uh was kind of slightly different. And then data was sort of exactly the opposite, but not really because it really was his journey to humanity and seven of nine's journey to being more human and to Paul's journey of being not an insufferable Vulcan. I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a thing that they do over and over and over and again in Star Trek. And I, I, I'm not, I, I'm not ready to pronounce judgment on this because it is one big story and we've seen 250. No, I agree. And that's, that's the point that I was trying to make. I mean, and this was, this was my flaw. You know, I was not, um, you know, I, I I didn't get a chance to finish the point that I was trying to make. And the point was, you know, I I wasn't uh, condemning it. In fact, if anything, I was actually criticizing my own short sightedness in this and that I was expecting something to be, what I am familiar with in terms of a Star Trek story, and it isn't. Now, that's all personal taste. Now, I granted, I think I, I like it a little bit better when it's, when it's more episodic, but that's not my call. This is the producer's call. They want to make it this particular way in terms of telling their story. So for me to see the Star Trek ideal and lock in on it that I really, really want, mm-hmm. I need to give this thing, chan- uh, I, I need to give it a chance to breathe. And it hasn't had that chance yet. Right. And CBS, which we'll talk about later, is, of course, making that maddeningly difficult for everyone on the planet, practically, except for, well, for everyone in the United States, not everyone else on the planet. But, yeah. Um, yeah, This is this is a problem. But I will say this. I already like it better than Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. I don't. In just two episodes. I don't. um, I, I no, I don't. I can. Al- I already know right now. Off, off. I mean, hit the ground running. I liked Enterprise and Deep Space Nine better. In fact, Deep Space Nine was my favorite of all the Star Trek shows, original series notwithstanding. I'm still struggling to get through Deep Space Nine, but I'm working on it. Anyway. It's a tough one. It, it's it's tough for the first couple of years, but I, you know, when you get to like season three, it's when it begins to change, and that's when I really fell in love with the show. Um, but. That's you know I, I that's not to say that this isn't this doesn't have the potential to be good. It does have the potential in terms of storytelling. Now you notice I'm really staying away from the nitty gritty canon stuff. 
Oh yeah, you have. To. I don't want to be one of those fans, right? <clears throat> and I, and I, I, you know, I, I thought about making a prologue here that says, you know, we're this is ten years before Kirk and Kirk and Spock as a, a team on the Enterprise, and you know, it's just not possible for them to recreate the technological feel of the old series. So, right. you know, for starters, it cannot look like original Star Trek any more than, you know, you could see a guy hop into a new Tesla and pop an 8-track in the in the stereo system. It just, the audience is not going to buy that unless you're trying to convince them it's a joke. And so I can walk away with that. It's like, you know something? They just have to. It's a play. It's your mind's eye. The The set is really designed to to give you the, you know, just sort of the backdrop for the story. So I'm cool with that. I, but, you know, and, and, and I, I detest the fact that she's basically Spock's sisterish, wardish. I don't know what your, what your child's ward, what your child's parallel ward is called, but, you know, I, I detest the fact that they had no imagination and couldn't, Oh, I know. You know, do something. Uh, I mean, that's just that, uh, that's just a it felt a cheap, cheap thing. And uh, but with the technology thing, I am I adore the fact that they actually took the trouble to make the phasers look like a combination of a Pike phaser and a um, Kirk phaser. You know that that does look mm, like yeah. it's a ten year old. It could it phaser. could fall. Yeah, it could it could easily fall within there. And the communicator looks a lot like a. Yeah, there was, there was there was familiarity. So they took um, an effort to to sort of where they could go that route. And we know that they're going to be doing more in future episodes. They're going to be, uh, well, for example, um, I already know that they're going to be introducing uniform changes. Oh, good, because I cannot forgive the uniforms. That is the one thing that I cannot forgive. It's like, come on. Like yeah, you went to did. the trouble to do the phasers, you could at least—I mean, even if you're not going to use the classic design, you could at least go with gold, blue, and red. You know, and maybe this is, and maybe that is, uh, and I—I I, I, I guess I could say I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here because, like I said earlier, I really, really wanted to love the show, and I'm trying to find ways to rationalize, uh, 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 rationalize it. Maybe the color change. Maybe this is something that stems from. The post Klingon conflict, we don't know. No, uh, now know, maybe I I, I got to bring up something. Uh, now, okay, so when do, I know that's been said, when exactly does this series take place <laughs> in the timeline? <clears throat> right? Didn't I hear the word ten? ten? You've heard the word ten years used regularly, and that doesn't work because. Spock and Pike were already Thank on you. board the Enterprise ten years before Kirk's time. That's correct, uh, as established in the Menagerie. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> thirteen, I believe, thirteen yes. years ago. I and I should point out, and this just really pissed me off. I, I will never watch After Trek again because I really wanted to just like run into the studio and punch everybody in the mouth there. Because the I don't know if you, did you watch it? I haven't watched it. No. Oh, it, you're gonna scream. It, it that will absolutely make your your your, your you'll, you'll have a stroke watching this because they inter- have a stroke. Well, they have the producer, uh, actually two of the producers, one in the studio and one in a, in a over at the soundstage in Toronto where they film. Oh, not not transported Discovery. by Katra mind melt. No, no, none of that. No, no. Uh, but then the whole concept of canon came up, mm. and uh, the host. Mm-hmm. who is not somebody I really like very much, uh, went on to say, how do you handle 50 years of canon? And they had the audacity to say, you know, by being fans and, and bringing what you know. And I thought, then none of you are really fans because you guys brought very little to the table in terms of some of the details. You know, And we're not just talking the little nitty-nitty picky-picky things, but you know, there are some bigger things that are going on, as you pointed out. I mean, we've got an enterprise, which... We already know looks like the standard Constitution class ship that we've got. Mm. What we are seeing here looks nothing like that. Well, there are very few Constitution class ships in the fleet. Well, there were only twelve. Right, that's very few. 
Yeah. I, I thought they were deep space explorers. Not to make excuses for them, but maybe they're actually out in deep space beyond Federation frontiers. Possibly. Oh, like, and, like, just, and like Shinjo wasn't. <laughs> it was, was right on the edge. It was right on the edge. I, I, yes, I agree. This is problematic. Um, it probably should have been 25 years. That might work better. You know, since we can't really date the technology because it's going to look newer, then they could have pulled something a little further back and and had Burnham be, you know, maybe even old enough that she never met Spock. You know, yeah, that would have worked better. Overlapped a different kind of a non-overlapping child thing. But the point is, and the reason I only brought this up is, I had suggested that maybe the uniform change was going to be instituted as a result of the war. However, by this point, um, we've already seen some of the new uniforms already established as they're wearing them on Enterprise, which clearly coincides with the time of this series. So there's no, a little bit of old. uniform Enterprise discrepancy. Is much older. Enterprise is much older. You know what I'm trying to say, though. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, the uniforms look a lot more like Enterprise uniforms. But I, I think I thought Enterprise was supposed to be another ninety. I'm not talking now. Enterprise. I'm talking. No, I'm, oh, I'm talking the, the USS, USS Enterprise. Enterprise. Ah, yes. Well, they oh have no, Enterprise is overlap. like 150. Yeah, it's pre-Federation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, I'm talking. I'm talking USS Enterprise. I'm talking Starship Enterprise with Spock and Pike on it. That uniform that coincides with Discovery. It does seem like it should. That's right. I, I and agree. yet, if they're all part of the same fleet, you'd think they'd all be wearing the same uniforms. And well, look at uh, Star Trek: Next Generation and Deep Space Nine during their infamous uniform flip flop period, which they well tried to explain. Yeah, the argument could be made that because that was a space station, they wore different uniforms, and then but then that evolved, and then they all started wearing the same uniforms. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, you know, here's everybody in Starfleet began wearing the same look, uniforms again. It evolved. Here, here's the thing about uh, – here's a quote from Star Trek The Motion Picture that's a great quote. And when I first heard it at that age, I, I didn't buy it because I was a future engineer uh, at the time. And that was McCoy complaining about sickbay. They probably changed oh, yeah. it all around. Engineers, they love to change things. They love things. to change things, yeah. Funny thing. <clears throat> don't know if we've ever mentioned this. But if you watch a Japanese show like Ultraman or something from the 1960s, mm-hmm. and and I've seen this, Ultra 7 had a remake or had a reunion films made in the 90s, and they meticulously recreate the uniforms and the the watches and all that stuff, even though it looks dated and out of because because that's important in continuity to the way they do television but here the costume designer for example is doing nothing if they don't make their own costumes right so they have to ch- i mean look at the I, mm, <clears throat> look at the abrams universe they made the starfleet uniforms the proper ones but then they had mm-hmm. to change them a bit because and I can kind of understand why you might have to add more detail, just like you have to add more detail to the models because on a big screen, you know, the, you have to do some stuff to it just to make it look right on on camera. But then they spent three films trying to put them in different uniforms. Oh, cadet uniforms, dress uniforms, field landing uniforms, uh, you know, gun to the bathroom uniforms. None of them look like proper Starfleet uniforms. They They're hardly seem to be wearing them most of the time. True. Any excuse to just get out of those and go into something else. And you know that's just like, hey, they paid me a lot of money to make costumes. They did not pay me to copy William Ware Thice's 1960s t-shirt over some black pants. <laughs> right. So, you know, And to, to, to a point that that was kind of okay, uh, especially when we went into Next Gen, because that is some 70-odd years later. Okay, yeah. I can kind of deal with that. But you can also see the, the heritage there. Oh, yes, absolutely. You can't see the heritage here. No, not in the slightest. So, uh, anyway, it's been a long time yakking about uniforms, uh, when I suspect we have <laughs> some other stuff to... 
things that are of greater substance, yes. I mean, like I said, I didn't want this to turn into a big canon nitpicky session because it could easily turn into that, and it, I don't and want it to. And that's the problem. And, I, and I, I, I pulled a few things, and there are a couple things that I'm going to pick on and, you know, riff with it or not. But, but here's probably my biggest one. And, and I've already alluded to it, but I'll say it again. Starting with the next generation, sort of somewhat with the Star Trek movies, but starting with the next generation, and I'll say it, Klingons oh, are boy. stupid. Oh, here it comes. Yep. Klingons are dumb as posts. This, this, you know, in, in the old series, when in uh, Errand of Mercy, mm-hmm. Kirk sits down with Kor, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And they have a little conversation. And yes, CORE is substituting in for the Soviet Union. But they have a little talk. And they talk about how they have, you know, you know starved our colonies and, and, you know, blocked off our trade routes. The, the usual economic and commercial gripes that two empires or, or anti- political entities with different goals have. And they seem real. I don't necessarily agree with what the Klingons wanted to do, but I felt like the Klingons had a real point behind what they were doing. Not the way they were doing it and, you know, their culture and whatnot. But when we got to the next generation, they decided to make the Klingons sort of the honor-bound samurai warriors. Suddenly... I can't imagine these people making it to warp drive. How can can a group of people who just want to kill each other all the time for honor, not even for a good reason? How, how can they be technologically they achieved, advanced? Yeah, how could they have achieved, you know, wheels? <laughs> you know, unless wheels are for driving people and killing them. I and and I and I don't believe the Klingons. And as soon as they did that to the Klingons, the Klingons became a joke. And, you know, Worf is a joke, but when they go to the Klingon homeworld, it's like the planet of the jokes. And, unfortunately, those are the Klingons we've got here. And I'm not sure where they're going with it. Maybe, maybe they're trying to show religious fundamentalism here. The the legend of Kalas. 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 Yes, the the... The rebirth and yes, and to come from uh, uh, he he apparently he had yeah, he apparently had some sort of religious epiphany and thinks that he's Kalos incarnate now. So maybe this will be a little more nuanced as we go, uh, unlike later Star Trek things. But right at the moment, I'm still you know what I'm hearing is the guy spouting the the nonsense that it's like you, you just. You just dumb, dude. And and then, I mean, what did we have? 40 minutes of Klingons talking? Felt yeah, like it. Yeah, which I will admit. Um, and, you know, and I don't mind the Klingon language when it is audible. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. And, there, now, and, and there's a reason why I say that is because they, in the past, and, and they've, they've hired a linguist uh-huh. years ago when they did Star Trek Three. Actually, actually, they Star hired Trek, him for Star Trek picture. Two. They did for motion picture. No, it wasn't him. No, that was James Doohan. He created the. He was the one who actually created the start uh, the Klingon dialect. But Mark Okrand, who created the language, first he was brought on to create the Vulcan language. In, in so okay, back up trivia. Okay, I'm, I'm about to really show my nerd card here. The Vulcan and Klingon language in Star Trek: The Motion Picture were both invented by uh, Jimmy Doohan. Because he is a di- he he's an expert in dialects, so when they came time to Wrath of Khan, they got Mark Okren. He created the Vulcan language based on some of the sounds that he heard Jimmy Doohan use. Then they hired him to do Star Trek Three for the Klingon language, and once again, he did the same thing based on what he heard Jimmy create for the Klingon language. But Mark is an actual linguist, and there's a fantastic documentary. On one of the one of the document uh, one of the DVDs, I think it's for Star Trek Three, where he actually shows how he created the Klingon language, and it's very similar in structure to Chinese of all things, in terms of its uh, it, it's it's all based on the idea of glyphs. So it's a it's a fascinating study in how the language is constructed, and and I've heard enough of it now 
so that many words I can actually identify. Like if I hear Devui, I know exactly what that means. That's like captain, leader, whatever. And that was used in, in great abundance. And so there were words that through that horrible dentures that they were wearing in this, in this show, I was able to make out. Now, it, the Klingon language is fascinating to listen to when you can hear it. What I heard is 40 minutes of somebody choking on cotton balls. And it drove me insane. And at that point, I kept thinking, if they're going to talk, then A, either loop the dialogue so that they could be easily heard, because I can't believe that any alien species would evolve uh, and, and, you know, any speaking uh, any species that actually has the spoken language would evolve to that kind of state to where their teeth are so big that they can no longer pronounce words. I, I just know evolution wouldn't allow for that. I don't care what you say. It just, it's just not possible. Uh, so either loop the dialogue so they could be understood or just have them speak in English. <clears throat> I'm, I'm voting for English, but, uh... but don't torch. And especially since we know that the Klingons are largely bilingual, or at least maybe they're bilingual. Well, they were very bilingual in Enterprise. So I see no reason why they couldn't be bilingual here. Unless, oh, God forbid, this isn't in the prime timeline. And this is actually a reboot of a totally different universe. And if it were, I would actually like the show better. Well, you know, if you're, if you're talking about the Kelvin timeline. Put in the Kelvin timeline. What do I care? I... I don't think it's meant to be a different timeline. Um, I from what specific, Prime or Kelvin? From Prime. I don't think it's supposed to be a different one from Prime. It's it is supposed to be Prime, but it, it don't prime, feel yeah. like it. The director said it was. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't feel like it though. Well, but again, how, how do we? <clears throat> but it's too soon. Yeah. How do, how do you? How do you? you know, and 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 as you pointed out, and you are quite right in this, the production values don't allow for trying to create a brand new show and pigeonhole the production standards into something that fits everything that we've seen. Years old, I yeah. mean, I admit, I'm an old fart. I would like to see them do that, but what the hell, they can't. They can't. So. They can't. And I, I'm resigned to that. I, <clears throat> you know, I think for the sake of... I think for the sake of younger fans, they needed to make it look a lot more like Abrams. And that's who they and, 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 and they did. Yeah, that's exactly. And that's who they aim this for. You know, and one thing that I, I have to keep telling myself, they're not making the show for me. They're making the show for the younger people who they're trying to bring in as new Star Trek fans. Yeah, that you, you can't make television for the audience from 50 years ago. You have hmm. to make audi- You have to make television for the audience that today. you need it to appeal to, be to, today. to make yeah. the bills. That's right. Exactly. It's, just, it's the same thing as with Doctor Who. I mean, you and I had that conversation when that got rebooted by RTD. I mean, they had to make it for, as, and I loved how you put it, for the, the Buffy the Vampire MTV audience. Mm-hmm. And it's not the audience. You know, I'm not that audience. I don't relate to that. I relate to a completely different audience, but that's because I'm old. Uh, you know, I can, I can, I can. Show, uh, there are things that I don't like. Straighten your freaking cameras, people. But um, no, yeah, and, and please don't give don't give me any freaking lens flares. Oh yeah, there was some. I, I, I really don't need that. Yeah, but you know, I, I am in a way excited, in a way, for the fifteen part story. Because I think I, I don't need I don't need it to conclude at the end of every episode. If it, if they were going for twenty two, thirty, fifty episodes, uh, no, fifteen is pushing it. But but okay, I am I'm interested in that. I'm interested in seeing how that goes because you can tell a big story. You mentioned Babylon Five earlier. One of the uh, hybrid creature of its time had to be episodic because that's what audiences in the 1980s expected wanted to tell a big story mm-hmm. and 
that was a very difficult, tenuous thing. But with the way that television is made for streaming, which this is made for streaming mm-hmm. and binge watching, you know, they're going to get a guaranteed run. Your 15 episodes. There's your budget. It doesn't matter what happens. We're going to drop it on the streaming services, and people are going to watch it. Maybe not as many people justify us making an X batch, but you know that medium suits for telling a one series long story. Um, really good example: Stranger Things. Oh yeah, you know there's there's a really good example. I, I assume you've watched it. Oh, uh, God. Yeah, we binged that one. I mean, we watched the entire thing in a weekend. Exactly. And they're hoping you're going to do this someday, you know, with Star Trek. Um, well, assuming if they would drop the entire series in one big shot, I probably would have. I don't think they, they didn't drop uh, Stranger no. Things in one shot, though. Yes, they did. Did they? I don't know, because I didn't All catch of, it Yeah, Netflix, dro- Netflix will drop the entire series immediately. The, the, we're, we're dealing with something that's completely unique. Uh, the host of After Trek said that he'd not seen anything like this before, and he's right. This is totally different, and it's it's unfair for me to pass judgment at this time. I mean, did, did I like it? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. But I'm willing to give it some more time. And hope that maybe I will grow to love it, or maybe there'll be something there that I can latch onto and say, okay, I see promise here. So far, I'm not there yet. But then, as we said, this is like a, this is a 15 chapter story, and we've only had chapters one and two. And maybe, it, maybe it's not going to grab me until chapter five. So I have a few things here. I mean, I think I've, I think I've talked about, and I see the potential. I, I see the potential that this is the Starfleet that I want it to be, and and I see the potential for a story about, you know, how do you maintain that in in the face of onslaught, which I think obviously has some real current day parallels. You know, the ideals of the United States are being put severely to the test now, and. And maybe we never lived up to them. Certainly we never lived up to them, the Federation standards. But they're being put to the test by a variety of things, internal and external. And so there's some room for reflection in in Discovery in much the same way that Star Trek had reflection of the themes of the 60s uh, in their original day. So I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful there. I don't want to be beaten over the head with it, but... I'm hopeful that there's some room for a good story and uh, a, a beginning, middle, and an end. But I will say I do have a few questions here and a few mm-hmm. things. So let me ask this question. Did the captain and the first officer really need to beam down on that away team by themselves to drill a well? That seem like the worst excesses of Star Trek original series is like, uh, let's see. Captain has to take charge of everything, yeah. Let's go down, tramp around, and drill a well. Drill a well. That's all they were there to do. If you're examining uh, missions, it seems uh, like overkill. Which is a violation of the Prime Directive, isn't it? Oh, God, it it was a violation of the Prime Directive. (laughs) So as long as we avoid contact with them, we're doing... Bullshit. Whoops, sorry. You're not killing (laughs) them. You're not letting them die, which is mm, the, (laughs) the Prime Directive. Um, another thing, I, 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 I'll put it to you. Theme music. What do you think? Uh, it's, it starts off reminiscent and then it goes in a different direction. It's, it's, I've heard worse. I've heard much well, worse. I'm sure, I've heard worse music, but what I don't get but it, is... But it's not memorable. Why after Star Trek The Next Generation, which, to be fair, Star Trek The Next Generation can't take credit for this. Star Trek The Motion Picture takes credit for it. Well, but well that's correct, because it's Jerry Trek Goldsmith. And, Star Trek and... Well, Jerry Goldsmith did uh, Voyager 2, and it's slow. Oh, and, uh, it's pretty. Oh, I love the Voyager theme. It's pretty, but it's not, it's not exciting. And that's my complaint I like here. it. You know, I like it. Deep Space Nine's music is not exciting. Oh, Deep Space uh, Nine's music is just dull. Enterprise's music is... Oh, that's bad. God-awful. 
no, like Voyager's music is pretty, but it's not like roaring adventure. It's like I think it's a leisurely slow stroll music. And Star Trek, I don't and agree. Next Generation, come on, the tempo alone. I don't agree. Anyway, this music reminds me of Voyager's music because of that same thing. It's like I don't. Oh, hate it's not it. as good. Well, I, I suppose it, it's, it's kind of. It also rips off the Expanse, and it sounds a lot like it was done in GarageBand, and it also sounded exactly like one of the iPhone commercials that they showed shortly thereafter. In fact, the kids <laughs> noticed that. It's like, wait, that's the st- no. It's an iPhone commercial. <laughs> it's an iPhone eight commercial. It's like it's. It sounded like a lot of it sounded like loops that they'd put. The part together. that gets me though is that, except for the first four notes and the end, no, not even the end. Oh yes, the end. Yes, the because end. yeah, because they borrow from Alexander Courage's theme again. So yeah, the first four. Well, actually, the first two notes are Alexander Courage's, and then the following two notes are actually a reinter, uh, like an interpolation of that. But yeah, it's, enough it's for me to erect. In fact, I was actually able to guess the pattern they were going to go. Did, I was did you actually just say erect? Sorry. No. <laughs> no, but you just did. Okay, go ahead. Um, I was able to get a good sense, understand where where that those first four notes were going after I heard the first two. And then, then I heard the third. And I thought, okay, if you want to do it right, this is where your fourth note's going to go. And they did it just like I thought. So in that respect... I remember the first four notes, and I remember the last little bit of the of the of the theme. Everything else in the middle, gone. Oh yeah, and it's not because I only watched it twice. It's because there's it's it's one of those. It it it, it has a oh that's oh yeah it's got a slight uh, uh, Franz Zimmer kind of vibe to it, but I don't I recognize I mean I, I recognize that there was orchestration, but I don't hear a theme. Yeah, I I recognized it as being loops I've got in GarageBand. Well, yeah, it's oh, all it's all arrangements. There's no actual melody that's going on there that actually says this is Star Trek. I mean, even Deep Space Nine had a melody. It wasn't a good one, but at least it had that. So I, I didn't like it. I didn't like the opening credits. No, didn't. No, it, it, I kept seeing all over social media. Oh, these opening credits—they're giving me the chills. These are awesome. Now I've got hope for the show. And I watch it. And I went. Well, I guess it's better than Enterprise, but it's not. What, what is this supposed to mean? We just didn't then want again, to do space again. I guess you know, and maybe we're just being a couple of old fogies and saying you're not doing it like we're my Star Trek. Do it supposed to be done? No, I, I, I know. It's just, it's um, yeah. The producers are trying something different. All right. Um, one thing I do kind of like. And, and again, I, I'm thinking that perhaps they should have named the Shenzhou the Lan Yu instead. And I don't know whether it's true or not, but I have a feeling like we might have a bunch of flashbacks to her seven years. Oh, I'm, I'm sure we will. Which is why I think it should be Lan Yu. Um, <laughs> yeah, I need to get that. <laughs> yeah, we're not lost. <laughs> and uh, so it's... I, which I'd like. I, I like Michelle Yeoh. I thought she Oh, was, I do too. She was good in it. Um, she didn't fight the Klingon as well as I'd hoped she would, because she can hold her own with Jackie Chan. You'd oh, think. God, yeah. Did, hold her own watch with her. Klingon. Yeah. Oh, she, she's a good fighter. Um, but, so there is one thing in Star Trek that I used to think was a problem in, in latter Trek. Not, not proper Trek, but latter Trek. Mm-hmm. Vulcans are all incredibly insufferable in almost all other Trek than original series. And particularly in Enterprise and... Oh, they were awful in Enterprise, especially for the first few years. They were terrible. But it occurred Wasn't to me yeah. that you know, really the only Vulcans we kind of got to see in original series were Spock and his father and the wedding party. And, you know, weird circumstances there on the wedding party. And uh, a, facimil- a facsimile of Surak. Which is from Spock's imagination. So it's not it's, real. It's, it's not, yeah. It's, it's, it's like Abraham very subjected. What, it's Abraham Lincoln was what Kirk imagined him to right, be. Right, exactly. So it's a very Surak. subjective 
uh, representation of Surex. So that's not we can't really we use can't that one. That's treat correct. That as a real one. No. Does it seem likely? Because it fits. Looking at all, even looking at the Olatra, it fits that the reason Sarek is the Vulcan ambassador is because he's not insufferable. He's actually learned from having a, a an Earth wife, or maybe he had an Earth wife because he learned. I don't know, but in other words, he's more insufferable than Spock. But well, compared to the other Vulcans, he's a, that's why he's the ambassador. That's the guy you send, the person who can actually yeah. deal with the humans and not tick them off. That's true. Unlike um, Saval, who we met in Enterprise, and he was, in the beginning, uh, a, a great-A dick. Uh, he was awful, and it wasn't until the last part of the series that he actually turned into something that was kind of likable. But for the first part of that show, he was just the most despicable and, character and and he was one of those you know he, he made the Vulcans look really awful unlikable right and you know Tuvok is a very old man compared to the Vulcans we've seen that is true he is and he spent a long time in Starfleet so that's true and he is a bit more insufferable than Spock a tiny bit but, but he's had a lot of time to learn how to work with humans yes he has. So, again, kind of fits with this canon idea that, that maybe – and what I liked about it was just how incredibly insufferable Burnham was in that flashback to when she put on the – Oh, yeah. She was doing Vulcan. Oh, she was doing Vulcan in a big way. And I kind of like, all right, I, I – I'm and glad it, and we it was don't up have to, s- to see that seven years, right? And it was up entirety. to Sarek to to you know, kind of snap her out and say, uh, you know, behave, behave. Yes. So he he knew more than she did about this, and I, and that was kind of the moment where I go, and now I understand why Sarek is the Vulcan ambassador. It's because he actually is less insufferable Vulcan than than the rest. Uh, yeah. I. Yeah. Okay, so I, I I know we weren't going to really go down the cannon roll cannon hole, but this this one I, I just I have to touch on this one. The Here's appearance, oh, the Klingons, mm. and their yeah. appearance. <sighs> I was having a big argument on the, well, not a big argument. It was it was a very spirited discussion, not argumentative. I mean, we're all very nice about it, but it was a very very spirited discussion about the Klingons. Now we kept hearing that these Klingons that we see. Uh, you know, Tacovma, whatever his name is, and and the rest of that crew. You know, they're supposed to be. We've heard that originally they were supposed to be like like some lost house, which is why maybe they look totally different. And then then we started hearing things like, oh, but each house of the Klingon Empire looks different than the other. So they did like, look oh. a little different. Well, they did, but it's like, oh, so there's no intermarrying. They 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 no one marries outside of their own house. Okay. You know, because it's supposed to be like royalty. You know, so you, sometimes you want to kind of marry houses because that can that can strengthen alliances. But I guess Klingons don't do that. Um, but they kill the strength of alliances. I guess. But then we finally see after you know when all the other all the other Klingon ships arrive, we're seeing holographic representations of what I am led to believe are representatives from all of the main houses on Kronos. Yeah. And they look very Klingon and not in the right way. They did look more like Tacoma. Yeah. Um, I I, I would have, so I would have appreciated it. First off, there weren't 24 of them up there in that um, hologram. No, there Uh, weren't. There were more like eight. I would have liked to have seen one or two that looked like Next generation Klingons, or or or, or, or even TOS Klingons. And TOS Klingon, I would have liked to have seen something closer to that. Yes, um, I would have too. You know, just as the different houses. Obviously, again, you can't. Next generation uh, Star Trek: The Motion Picture comes along, and they they put them in makeup to make the Klingons look like aliens because they couldn't afford to do that. And you know, let's face it. Then we retcon the crap out of it. Then then everyone else has retconned it out, right? I mean that. This is like, well, how did this happen? And so then they, they had, well, we don't talk about it, or it's a virus, or this, that, and the other. And it's all stuff they should never have done. They should have just kept stonewalling it and saying, no, 
That's what Klingons look like. Well, they screwed that up. Yes, they did. With Deep Space Nine. Well, and Enterprise too, I believe. Well, no, well, no. Actually, they they screwed it up with Deep Space Nine. That's where it all started. When uh, this when the the franchise was having its twenty fifth anniversary, the triple and they did trials and tribulations, and then now you've got Worf and the other Klingons, you know, Koloth, Korax, and all the others on space station K nine. And now there's the big, you know, there's the big elephant in the room. How is it that they don't look anything like Worf does? We don't talk about it. it we, yeah, we don't discuss it with outsiders. Yep. Okay, great. Now, they should have left it at that at the very least. But since you've got, but now, yeah, now they've, they've really opened up Pandora's box with that. The best thing they could have done is that they had never addressed it. I mean, never even gone to that show. And then we could have simply acted under the assumption that we are sort of retconning the Klingons' appearance. This is how they were always supposed to look because that's what Roddenberry said after Motion Picture came out. This is how the Klingons are always supposed to look. We just couldn't afford it at the time. I'm going to – a couple things. Uh, They're on the bridge. They were proper Enterprise sounds. Yay. From time even to time. when they uh, even uh, the transporter transporters the doors uh, yep. when they first stepped on the bridge seven years ago it was very much old school Trek and then in the more modern scenes the old school Trek stuff has was laid lower and some other stuff was added in but it was still there so I think they were kind of phasing it out but they definitely I think they were just running the loop. <laughs> <laughs> when they first stepped on the bridge, when she was yeah. in full Vulcan mob. Um I have read, I could not detect it, and maybe there's a reason for this. I was wondering if the, vo- the actress or the voice artist who does Siri was doing the Shenzhou's computers. Hmm. Because it sure sounded like her to me, and I went and looked online, and what I found is that the producers were saying that they had phonemic recordings of Majel Barrett that they were going to use to generate the computer. But they never did it. Didn't sound like it to me. It didn't sound like it to me, but then a a thought crossed my mind. Maybe she's the computer on the Discovery. That's possible, but wouldn't you think that all the computers would sound the same? Yes, you would, but I'm I'm just... I'm throwing it out there because I sure didn't sound like Majel Barrett to me. It sounded like Siri. And, um... Yeah. It's all right. I mean, obviously they can't if if they can't do the the phonic thing, um, they're going to have to hire an actress to play the computer. Mm, yeah. That's simple. So I, I'm I'm fine with that. Do you have anything? Oh, I, I well, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, um, you know, I'm just kind of flipping through social media, reading people's comments and whatnot. And again, it's a a lot of mixed. Tons and tons and tons of mixed. But just to let you know how everybody's got Star Trek on the uh, on the brain, mm. I am looking at a picture of um, uh, a cereal um, with a hissing gray taste called Gorn Flakes. That's a good one. It's actually very good. <laughs> I am really impressed with this one. What you gonna What you Gorn do? Uh, anyway, I would say that I did post out on our. Fusion Patrol, we very rarely get this opportunity. I posted on the Fusion Patrol page that we were going to be doing this, and Anthony McKay, who mm-hmm. is one of our longtime listeners and Oh, yes, I saw some of his comments. They were um, pretty harsh. Not happy with the top brass being made to look like morons yet again. Uh-huh. And what is it with a red-headed ensign? Is there going to be a guest ensign every week to sit there and wink at the other ensign occasionally? As for the story, oh, that's something that I got to talk. Yes, this is actually there is something that I did observe. Okay. Let me let me finish the and then we'll go, go ahead. As for the story, we seem to have hit fast forward to the last twenty minutes of every other Star Trek film. Other than that, I watched all of it. Um, Ensign Redhead, go <laughs> or whatever it is about that. Well, the th- that the thing that well the thing that really bugged me is and this is early on when Bauman is uh, she's going to do the uh, exterior... Oh, shoot. I can't think of the word. Uh, EVA? Where, where, yeah, the EVA. And you've got the the navigator who's doing this, you know, the whole elevator 
shtick. Oh yeah, uh, and, and oh, the airline, yeah, the airline, right? Or yeah, the airlines, you know. And and I'm and I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, this is like really inappropriate to me. I mean, I know that we've seen in, uh, you know, all the all the variety of Star Trek. Uh, we've seen moments where there's just kind of you know a little bit of levity and and of uh, a sense of familiarity. So there's a little bit of kind of joking going on, but you're in the middle of a potentially tense mission and you're going to be cracking jokes like that to me. Now, maybe I may, maybe I'm really am picking just nits at this, but something about it just felt really inappropriate. Hmm. And it, it just kind of stuck me in the back of my brain. It only bothered me because I would be the person telling jokes. Um, it only bothered me in that I have no reason to believe that this ensign or commander or whatever his rank was would have any clue what an airline air flight good point would sound like any more than Captain Kirk would know what inkwells are for dipping little girls' curls in. Um, well, he is a, he is fond of history. I, I think it was showing. I think it was showing the type family and crew that Jojo Giorgio <laughs> Jojo the Wonder Dog uh, <laughs> Captain Giorgio Ooh, trying to say I think your Freudian slip is showing um, no I, I, I liked her probably as my favorite character in the whole show um, was trying to run mm-hmm. she was a she was a good Starfleet captain right I mean she was supposed to be a good a, Obviously, Sark wouldn't send them there, but I mean, she was supposed to be, and I thought she was. It's just that, you know, even that crack about the sarcasm on the bridge or the, you know, as I like it that way, I think they were trying to show that that's how she commands by, I'm the boss, but we can have a little fun. And, you know, within within parameters. But because we don't really spend a lot of time on the bridge, we don't. You know, except in non in crisis mode, we don't really get a lot of that. But I, I think that was shorthand for that overall. So it, it didn't bother me. It just it's like, yeah, it seemed anachronistic to me when you it, hop on it, a shuttle and yeah. on Earth, and you're there in three minutes, and uh, <laughs> we'll be arriving in San Francisco in forty seven milliseconds. Oh, we're in, yeah, kind of thing. So, but uh, Anthony, thank you. Uh, for being the only person to get the chance to uh, uh, respond to that, I agree with you completely about the admirals. Oh, uh, admirals God, what a t- dope. You know, this is, uh, having a conversation with somebody at work about this one, uh, you know, the, the captains that we see, Giorgio, and it looks like maybe from the previews, the captain of the Discovery appear to be of the mold of the high-caliber Starfleet captain which i like and you wonder how it is that all the admirals at the top got to be idiots if they had to work their way up through captain wow what does that say about the rest of starfleet i don't i don't know i i think think it's dramatics i think it's just bad writing it is bad writing you just have to have a foil for you know i have the right decision I mean, this is this is a standard television thing that the hero has to have the right decision. They have to be in opposition to someone, and if the admiral, which you know, they just shouldn't be able to talk to the admiral. They should be two weeks out by subspace radio, and you have to do it on your own. But instead, they go to the admirals and they talk to them because they get their cell phone communications across the galaxy, and you know, then then they have to disagree. And if they have to disagree with a person we're supposed to agree with, then the admiral always looks like an idiot. You know, and the thing that really bugs me is as I think back to past episodes throughout the entire history of of Trek, uh almost all of them were morons. Like I said, they have to be dis- in disagreement. They have to provide conflict to our I mean, there were one heroes. or two that I thought really had their head together. I mean, they ended up making bad mistakes, but it's not because they were idiots. Like we saw in in Discovery, I mean, and that admiral, wow, that he was he was just tragic. Well, I mean, he was taking the 
don't attack, don't do anything rash. Let's get there and talk with them. And then he wanted to talk with them. He was he was walking the Starfleet line there. He was not actually saying anything different from what Captain was saying. It was yeah, but only Burnham that was... Yeah, the but there was something. It, but. There was something that was so unbelievably inflexible about him. Almost, he almost had a militant behavior, perhaps, perhaps. about about draw, uh, you know uh, walking that line that made him a moron. Can I? Yeah. I, can I just say this? Get rid of this stupid holodeck holographic technology that allows them to walk around and sit on desks. Oh. I, 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 you know, that does not stand any test of logic whatsoever. Or I liked how in the second part, the Admiral walked up the steps uh, on the bridge. Uh-huh. It's like, are there steps in exactly the same spot where he is? You know, this is like augmented reality or virtual reality glasses. Uh-huh. If he's If he's seeing it through him being on, what does he see? Good does question. He, does he see a holographic bridge around him with her, with Captain Philippa Giorgio sitting there? Or does he see just – how does he know there's a desk there to sit on? How can he sit on that desk unless there's a desk where he is that's sit, – it, it, it's, it's, that's it's bad. It's sort of in, in the same relative position to him. Would be yeah. funny if he tripped over something on the way because there's a, there's a step up on his bridge but not on our bridge and whoop, oh, trip. Thing. You know, and, and the idea that using the the argument that well, you know, you can't use the kind of technology that they were using in the original series, rubbish. Yes, you can. Television of is course just you fine. Can. A view screen is just fine. We don't need the Star Wars holograms nonsense, which is just a, a ridiculously inefficient and pointless way of communicating. It's like what what is the advantage to that? Mm-hmm. What, what possible reason would you want? to project and walk around the room and appear to be walking around the room in, and you know, telepresence would be different if he had presence, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you know what I mean? In other words, if you could pretend to be on another ship and you could actually do things like work controls or twist people's arms or whatever, then, then maybe you'd want to do that. But, but just have, and also just again, for the people at work, um, when Sarek, was in hologram form and he moved across the room uh-huh. in, when the bright lights were coming through the lights followed him Ooh. to the side of his face that was lit changed when he churned directions which is a holograms can mistake. Try, yeah yeah they, they they're effect, affected by the the ambient light <sighs> yeah mm-hmm. bad mm. Yeah, right. it, which which just goes to show that them using that kind of uh, gimmick for their communication purposes was uh, not a very bright idea. It's a gimmick. It's definitely a gimmick. That's all it was. It was just a gimmick. All right, I think I think we've definitely killed this one at great length. This is like an, a, a a Homerian epic. Oh I God, guess. yeah. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You just De- looked at the time, was. didn't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I did. I'm like, holy oh, crap! Wow, we've been at yeah. this for almost two hours. Yes, yeah, sorry folks. Uh, hope you had a long drive today when you were listening to podcasts and had plenty of time to listen to that. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say that I'm reading uh seeing the headline of another story that says Star Trek Discovery is gritty, dark, and exactly what the franchise needs. Does yes, it? But, mm, uh, <clears throat> we'll see. I don't know that that's what the franchise needs. I don't that, know. That's I a deep that's a deep philosophical argument and one of the reasons that I'm not crazy about Deep Space Nine. Well, but. it's one of the reasons – well, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say, you know, when Keith and I were watching this, uh, after, especially after we watched the first part, I said, this isn't Star Trek. This is Battlestar Galactica, the reboot, just set with some sort of Star Trek trappings. I hope it's a lot better than that because I couldn't get through four episodes of Oh, I had a hard time with that reboot. too. That, that was terrible. <laughs> just terrible. Yeah, it was painful. Um, but you know something? Oh, there's a difference. There is a difference between this and Galactica. And it makes a big difference to me. I didn't hate anyone in this show. I didn't hate the captain. No. I didn't hate Philippa. I didn't hate that the, is true. the alien. I all thought that those were nice people that I would, you know 
basically would not mind spending time with them. But Battlestar Galactica, I detested every everybody on there were just scum sucking people that I would jettison in space if I had the opportunity. And I don't yes. like TV like that. So there is a difference. I, there, I a agree. Fundamental difference. I agree completely. There wasn't a single character on that original, uh, or not the original, but the, the rebooted Galactica that I thought was decent and honorable and nice. Worth you know, but, saving from the Cylons. Yeah. Not worth it. No. But yes, I actually liked everybody on board uh, on, on board the Shinzo. I thought, you know, okay, I mean, shortcomings is, you know, everybody's got some shortcomings, but I thought they were all fairly decent people. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So, yeah, total total agreement. All right, well, folks, we are not going to be reviewing, rest assured, we're not going to be reviewing all of the episodes of Star Trek Discovery. We're not? We're not going to do that, although we might have one more when it's over. I think, think that's probably more appropriate. Yeah, possibly. Um, but uh, anyway, Ben, thank you for joining me. Oh, it was quite the pleasure. And listeners, I hope you'll join us again next time. I'm Fusion Patrol. Talk, talk, Charles. Hachoo! Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.